they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this thing that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Just pray with me today. Father, as we begin this journey today of walking through your text, your word, Lord, we, de- we make a couple of declarations. Number one, we declare that you are God, that you are God and God alone, that there is no God like you, there is no one beside you, there is not a competition to your throne. Father God, you rule and you reign providentially in a supreme way. We believe in Jesus Christ, the life, burial, and resurrection that if believed upon will save us from our sins and create a way to God for us. We believe Jesus left us the Holy Spirit to fill us, to fuel us, to illuminate, illuminate your word to us, your word which is true infallible, absolute, and right. God, we are your church. We gather together. We worship. We sing. But above everything else, we are on mission, the mission you have called us to, to make disciples, to lead this world to you. And so today, as we gather as a church, we make much of Jesus Christ. We make much of the gospel. We make much of your word lift you high. It is not about us. It is not about a song, a pastor, a person. It is about the man, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I ask that you would fill this church with your presence like you have never filled this church before. Lead us back to you, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name. And we all said... Amen, amen, amen. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? You doing well? Doing well? You're looking good. I noticed a couple of you shaking hands, and a couple of you smelled really good today. I was, uh, I, you know, I'm just saying, I really appreciate that as somebody who probably has to shake about a thousand hands a day. I appreciate those of you who take the time to bathe on a regular basis. I don't, I don't say that enough, but thank you very much. Uh, good to see you guys. What a weird intro. Um, also, can we just give a hand for those of our friends and families who are joining us online today? We always have a lot of friends and family. Yeah, it's great to have you. Make sure you leave us a, a little bit of info about you in the chat this morning, where you're watching from, who you're watching with. We're in week two of Garden State. I'm going to jump into it. We've got a lot of work to do today. I'm excited about it. Last week through Genesis 1, we really discovered or kind of rediscovered this understanding of God, who God is, God the creator, God the, God the father, God the initiator of all things made this statement that God is not just inside of our time, but who is at the beginning of time must have stood outside of time to be at the beginning of time. So God is outside of our time. God is the creator, the beginning, the end, the alpha, the omega, good times. And, and we really talked about this idea through Genesis that's seen, but then even more than Genesis, just throughout the entire narrative of Scripture, 
And the entire narrative of Scripture really revolves around these three points. Do you remember them? We said it's creation, then we said it's the fall, and then we said restoration. That's right, restoration. In fact, would you just turn to the person sitting next to you and say, restoration. Now turn to the other person that you ignored the first time, because you didn't choose them the first time. So your, check, your second choice person, turn to them and say, restoration. Restoration is, is the critical theme in all of Scripture. Restoration is what's so amazing for those of us who, who have seemingly gone too far and done too much. Restoration is a grace for us. Now, I don't know about you. I know I'm, I'm probably talking to a lot of perfect people, but if you're like me and we've done some stuff, we've messed up, we've, we've fell, we've fallen, we've done some things, I need restoration in my life. Amen? We are people who need Restored. We need restored now, but then in an eternal sense, we need restored. But as we're going to discover today, it's not just us as humanity. It's not just us that needs restored. Everything and all things need restored back to God. So we're going to get there in just a moment. But first, I want to hone in on this conversation that Satan has really primarily with Eve. And, and I want you to take some notes. We're a church that worships in spirit and in, and in truth. I want you to take these notes. This is going to grow you and push you in your faith, I do believe. But Satan is going to do three things, three specific things in this conversation with Eve, with Adam and Eve primarily. And, and here's what you need to know. He has not changed gears since day one. The enemy is still trying to do these same three things even up into today. And it is clever, but it is obvious. Can we just say that? It's clever, but it is obvious. Look at this in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. Pause real quick, just really side note. Don't get caught up on the fact that it's a, a serpent, okay? So whether you literally believe that there's a, a literal snake that slithered up and, and talked to Eve, regardless, here's what you need to know. Scripture is, is emphasizing the fact that there is something that was created by God that is trying to divide God from his creation. That's the takeaway. That's what you need to understand. You could get caught on the theological edge the whole day. That's fine. But here's the point. You need to understand that one of God's own created beings is trying to divide God from his creation. It says this in verse 2. Verse 1. Serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, now watch this now, did God, what's that next word? Actually, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Pause, real quick. How many of you are parents in here? Anybody? How many of you know that actually is one of your children's favorite words when they are in the middle of a lie? Anybody in here? Yeah. The other day, just very recently, uh, one of my sons pushed one of my other sons. My one son was crying. He pushed me. And I, did you push him? No, I, didn't, I did not push him. Did you, did you put? He's crying. There were witnesses. You pushed him. I did not push him. I didn't push him. So about 10 minutes in, he goes, well, I actually bumped him. That's what he said. Actually, what happened was that I bumped him. It's like, actually, you are now going to be disciplined. Okay, so I mean, actually is the verbiage of a liar actually is the verbiage of a deceiver. Because what Satan is actually trying to do, write this down, is get you to distort God's word. 
He says, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any of the tree? And look at what Eve says. And the woman said to the serpent, well, we can eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. What is Satan's intent here? He's trying to get into her head and say, well, did he actually mean that? Do you think that's what he actually said when he said that? Like, in other words, he's trying to look for an angle that can allow Eve to do something that God told her not to do. And that's called distorting God's word. I want you to know that today in culture, we live in a world where people distort God's word. Maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, end result, God's word is distorted. You need to make sure that where you are eating from is not the distorted word of God. You need to make sure that the lens by which you interpret and read scripture is not distorted in any type of way. You need, and listen to me now, you need the pure, unadulterated, absolute, infallible word of God to be read and manifested in your life. And so you say, well, what does it mean to have a distorted word of God? I would say this. If at any juncture you are hearing from somebody who says, I believe 99.9% of the Bible. What you are hearing is somebody with the ability to distort the word of God. And here's what you have to understand. Distorting God's word will eventually lead to denying God's word. Distorting God's word will eventually lead to denying God's word. We see people all the time who say, I complete outright, do not believe that. I deny God. I deny. And you're like, man, how did that happen? It always begins with the distortion of God's word. If the enemy can have us believe in the distortion, he can lead us to the denial. Look at how he says it in verse 4. In verse 4, Satan says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now, here's what you need to know. That is an outright, strong lie. And he knows that. Satan knew the character of God. Satan had a relationship with God. Satan was a created being, an angel, who was in God's high courts in his presence. He knows exactly what God is capable of. He knows exactly what's going to take place. He knows exactly what's going to happen. It is his intent to separate man from God. And so he is lying, and so he denies. God's fire says, you will sure not, surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan here questions not only the character, but the care for which God has for us. He comes at Eve like, I'm going to be honest with you, clearly God feels a little threatened here by you, Eve. Clearly God feels a little threatened. He knows that if you eat that fruit, you're going to be just like him. And you know the big guy doesn't want anybody to be like him. That's kind of the way he's coming across. He's emphasizing the fact that you can't trust the character of God. Emphasizing the fact that you can't really trust the care that he claims that he has for you. And here what's in, here's what's very in, uh, important but interesting to me. Up until this point, Adam and Eve had depended on God for everything. Life, sustenance their theology, their understanding of everything, their worldview. They had depended on God for everything. And Satan comes in and he offers them something new. And from all that we can tell, this is the first time that this new thing had come in. 
You know what this new thing offered to them was? Autonomy. Full and complete autonomy. Satan comes in and says, God's not trustworthy. He's lying to you. He doesn't want you to be like him. But get this. You can do whatever you want to do. You can be whoever you want to be. You're not going to really die. Even though he knows exactly what God had said. Even though Adam and Eve knew exactly what was said. In other words, God's word, listen to me now. You'll see the cultural implications today. God's word was reduced to a viewpoint. See, it was God's word being law. God's word being the definition of truth. But because of this relationship with with Satan, this conversation that came in, God's word as truth turned into God's viewpoint as a truth. One of many truths. And so what Satan is saying is, he's got a viewpoint, but I got a different viewpoint. And at this juncture, man became the measure of what was true for them. You guys following me this morning? Does this make sense? They were in a full community relationship with God, walking, talking, living, breathing, meeting in the garden and walking around, enjoying life. And then all of a sudden, autonomy comes in in a way that is very dangerous. A viewpoint, a worldview comes in in a way that is extremely dangerous. That places God's word as an opinion. God's word as a viewpoint. And man became the measure of what was true for them. And when man becomes the measure for truth, I want you to understand you are denying God's word. And so we move from God's word being distorted to God's word being denied. And then lastly, we get into God's word being defied. How is it that someone can stand in defiance to God? How does somebody get to the place where they're so angry that they shake their hand, their fist at the heavens and say, I hate you, God. I want nothing to do with you. Even if you are real, I want nothing to do with you. Well, I'll tell you, it becomes with a distortion. It it comes at the beginning of a a distortion. And then it moves into, you're going to take my, go ahead. It, It starts with that, and then it moves into a denial. And then it moves lastly into this understanding of of hatred towards God. And this is so important for us to understand, okay? This defiance that we see towards God is not just a defiance that we see in, in, in Genesis. It's a defiance that we even see up to and into this day today. Would you agree with that? We have a world, and sometimes I think, thank you, we have a world that I think sometimes we believe is just kind of, I don't want to say this, they're kind of in between. But I want you to understand this world stands in stark contrast to God's goodness. This world stands as an enemy towards God. Are you with me this morning? It's an enemy towards God. It's not ambiguous towards God. It has an agenda towards God. And so when we become people who live more like the world than we do God's word, we become a people who get sucked into and duped into living in a malicious way towards God, and that is defiance towards God. Now, I often hear in this passage, like, well, you know, Adam had a valid point. Adam's like, well, this woman that you gave me, she's the one who did it, right? It's it's, it's interesting. If you read through this passage, you will see that Adam was there the whole time. Adam was there. He was present the entire 
time. And so he is put in this category too where God's like, no, this is on you, Adam. And they're cast out of the garden. The relationship between God and man is completely severed. It's completely, it suffers and it's severed completely. And it's different as a result. And if you were just to read this beginning passage and you were to put this book down, you would be like, man, this is a horrible story. But at that moment, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we read this other verse. Can we throw that up there real quick? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Look at this verse. It says this. We're going to throw this up here. Genesis 3. I'm just going to read it if we could there. Genesis 3, verse 15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In this moment of defiance, in this moment of God pushing them out of the garden, I want you to understand that is the moment the gospel, the mission of God was put into action. Right then at that point, the gospel was put into action. And we understand the gospel, this is where it gets interesting, we understand the gospel to mean what? The life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Yes? But what if I told you that the gospel was greater than you could ever even imagine? What if I told you the gospel, yes, it has to do with us, but it doesn't just have to do with us. What if I told you that the gospel was about a restoration so great, so big, so massive, that humanity just has a small part to do with it? See, God isn't interested in just restoring a little bit. God is interested in restoring it all. God is a God who wants it all back. God is a God who enacted a mission to restore not just people, but plants and animals and worlds and galaxies because all of them also suffered the moment that this world slipped into chaos because of sin. You weren't the only thing affected by the fall. Everything and everyone was all affected by the fall, all affected by sin coming into this world. Our view of life, our view of sexuality, our understanding of family, our understanding of races, all affected by the fall. Do you understand that? Sin got in and affected everything. And God says, I am going to restore all things back to myself. All things. So as we begin reading through this and understanding this, it brings in a whole new topic. And, and I thought it might be kind of fun to bring one of my friends up to talk about it. So is he back there, Dylan? Just come up here real quick. Hey, could you welcome my friend Dylan up here this morning? Welcome Dylan to the stage, would you? I forgot they were coming up to take my podium. I saw John out of the corner of my eye. I also think I just heard a boo from him. <laughs> Somebody booed. That was encouraging. Appreciate it. So I asked you a couple weeks ago, to kind of prepare a little bit on this, this understanding of restoration, right? What does it look like to be a people who are restored? What does it look like to live in a place of restoration that we would, typically we would call that heaven? And what is heaven like? What does it look like? So maybe talk a little bit about that this morning. Yeah, so this experience studying heaven, studying eternity has been absolutely mind-blowing. I have to tell you, I mean, it's been incredible over the last few weeks trying to understand what a biblical view of heaven really looks like, what a biblical view of eternity really looks like. And I, and I will tell you what I found, it is starkly different than what you and I typically think of when we think of the word heaven. So I'd ask you, what do you think of when you hear heaven? Hold on. I know this answer. Tell me what it is. Diapers. It is, it does involve diapers, right? Yeah, little fat angel babies yes. wearing diapers shooting yes. arrows. Yeah, yeah, and usually playing the harp, right? Yeah. yeah, that's some of the famous depictions. Or you might think <laughs> of like, 
us all standing in a big circle with white robes on singing a hymn to God for all eternity, right? Like for some reason, we'll all become singers for eternity yeah. and we're just going to do that forever. That sounds great, but it's not particularly exciting. It's not particularly yeah. appealing. Yeah. And if we're honest as Christians, it's why we can't connect with our future of eternity. That's why we think too much about now because we don't understand what we're created for there. That's good. So I want to I share with you a little bit about what I read, and this is in Revelation chapter 21. Let me first share, I'm going to set this up a little bit. This is incredible because what you'll find in Scripture is if you study eternity, if you study heaven, if you look at the first two chapters of all of Scripture and the last two chapters of all of Scripture, what you're going to find <clears throat> is the beginning where God creates all things, as we just unpacked, creates them in his image, stands back, says it is good, and then we messed it all up. That's the rest of the book until you get to the last two chapters. And this is what happens. You see John in Revelation 21. This is John the disciple. Okay, so he was just exiled to uh, the island of Patmos because he was making disciples and preaching the gospel. So they sent him away from everybody, put him on an island, and then Jesus showed up. And Jesus said, I'm going to show you some stuff, and I need you to write this down. Right? So this That's is right. so good. So starting in, in chapter 21, verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Hmm. I mean, that's amazing. You know, we think about heaven, we think of just floating around in just this formless place. But heaven is actually what eternity awaits for us, is what we experience today, totally restored. Yeah. Totally restored. The curse of sin broken, no longer involving death, weeping, sorrow anymore. So that, that yeah. shook me. No, that's awesome. I, I love the understanding of heaven through a biblical lens instead of just a cultural lens. I think our understanding of heaven was greatly influenced by the beginning of this last century, you know, maybe two back, and, and very like cherubic babies and angels and clouds and all kinds of stuff. But, but heaven is a lot more like what we experience and see on a day-to-day -day basis, just in a restored manner. Is that correct? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it really is. And, and, and you end up seeing that come full circle, which I think is, is really beautiful. If you want me to talk about that a little bit, if you continue on to chapter 22 and you start in verse 14, you're going to see something here that I think is amazing. Okay, Pastor Travis keeps talking about what God ultimately wants to do is restore all things back to the way he originally intended and created. Okay, so he's going to restore what he created and that we defiled back to what he intended. Mm -hmm. So you'll see in verse 14, it says, blessed, this is Jesus speaking. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life. Yeah. The tree of life. Yeah. Eden restored back to what God originally created will now be restored for eternity. Yeah, no, I love that. Because when you, if you could jump back to 21, you read, you know, I see a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And it says in verse 2, and I saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. I love that idea because I think too often, at least for me, when I think about heaven, I think about it being a place that I'm going to that is not here. Like God's getting me out of here, right? Finally, I'm out. This old world and I'm old just passing through. I don't know, some old hymn or something, right? I think about that. But the fact of the matter is it's not that God is getting us up and out, it's that God is actually coming down to us in a new way. So it's not that heaven is this place that is far off, it's that God restores earth back to its original intent and drops heaven, this new Jerusalem, 
down into this world to be and dwell with his creation in a way that has never happened before. That's mind-blowing. Because I don't understand the concept of heaven being far away where I fly around and do whatever. I, really, honestly, right? As a man, that doesn't sound that appealing to me. I love worship. I love singing. And maybe I'm alone in this. I don't know. But I don't want to wear a robe. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to sit and sing songs for the next, I don't know, five million years, right? I want to do things. I want to be involved. And, and so when this earth is restored back to its original intent, God comes and dwells with us. It gives a whole new perspective on heaven. Yeah, and I think, honestly, as I studied this, this subject, the less I thought that heaven was just something to be waiting for, yeah. and more that I thought about right now, I should be being prepared for my eternal state, yeah. right? Yeah. Which I think is crazy, and, and this is gonna sound silly, probably a little juvenile, but it has changed me completely when I think about what I'm truly destined for. When I realized that I wasn't created for this, maybe 70 years, 80 years that I get here, and I was ultimately created for eternity in the presence of my God, just as Revelation says that he will come down from heaven and dwell with their people and be their God, that's incredible. That's what I was created for. That's what I was put here for, to prepare for that reality. But that means that I need to understand that I need to live with a garden state of mind today. Because here's the reality. If I believe that God is sovereign, which I do, meaning that he is in control of all things, and I believe that what I do here today matters in eternity, that shapes everything that I do while I'm here. Mm -hmm. That means that my trips to the grocery store aren't meaningless anymore. <laughs> that means that when I, when I pass my neighbors and I'm walking my dog and I, I don't wanna make eye contact, that's not meaningless. God is sovereign and he places us in positions to take the good news of the gospel to everyone around us and ultimately to restore the earth back yeah. to him. That's good, I mean, every interaction that we have is an opportunity to point people towards the restoration that God is going to bring, right? And so I think about my life, I get so caught up in these side little missions of my own thing, whether chasing after some finances, chasing after this, or chasing after that, or career goals, or whatever. And those are all well and good, but that's not what this life is going to be about. And if I look, if you look in Genesis, what was the original goal for Adam and Eve? They're cultivators, right? They are kind of like gardeners. They're builders. Their job was to expand Eden. Did you know that? Did you realize that? Their job was to tend to this garden, this paradise that God had given them, and to actually take it around the world. Well, guess what? We, we, didn't, we didn't do that. And so heaven is God bringing to us what he wanted to do in the first place, which is a world that is already populated with Eden. You guys follow me? Does this make sense? And so now our job is not to continue to cultivate. Now our job is to live there, worship our God, and to work. Yeah. And uh, I, I think this is really important. And this is what I ultimately pulled out of all my study, is to encourage all of us as the body of Christ with something. That, again, you were not created for here. Yeah. This is, this is I, I know we say it's not that we're just passing, just passing through, but in yeah. a way, we are. We were yeah. created for eternity. We were created to be in the presence of our God where everything is undefiled and restored back to him. Yeah. Right? So, so that should be a fuel for me in this life. Life is tough. Yeah. Life is hard. But I was created for an eternity that awaits me. Yeah. Right? So how do I live practically with that state of mind now? I've got a couple questions if you don't mind me reading them. Yeah. So first question, do I daily reflect on my own mortality? 
do I daily realize that this is going to end? That what I'm in, what I'm building is going to end? Do I daily realize that there are only two destinations, heaven and hell, and that every person I know, including myself, will go to one or the other? Puts things in perspective. It's about eternity, not here. Here's another one. Do I daily remind myself that this world is not my home and that everything in it will burn, leaving only what is eternal? That's huge. We fight so hard to build our kingdoms here when all we're put here to do is build for the kingdom that awaits us in eternity. Yeah, I love that idea of and that understanding, and I think it's a proper biblical worldview and a proper theology that says, I'm built more for there than here. I heard somebody say it like this one time. You know, it's it's like you're getting ready to build a house, and you put no thought into it but you're going to see your builder. And along the way, you stop and stay at a motel. And you start scheming about how you're gonna paint the walls in the hotel, how you're gonna go buy new, a, a new bed for the hotel, you're gonna buy new sheets for the hotel bed, you're gonna buy new lamps and TV. When the fact of the matter is, you're staying there for one night. You're only staying there for a limited amount of time. Why put time, energy, resource into decorating that room when your true destination is heaven? Be building for that place. I love that. Thanks, man. And I think for us today, as we kind of just close this out, our focus should be twofold. Number one, I really want to engage you at the beginning of Genesis on this understanding of, of how, we, how we live out God's word. Listen, it is important for you to ingest and digest the, man, the God's word in an unadulterated way. And if it's so, if, it's, if you're getting God's word in a distilled way or a distorted way, you have to understand that is going to lead you to a very dangerous place that ultimately is going to have you defying God and what he says. And so from the beginning of Genesis, we have to understand this. And this is a statement that is so powerful and so true. God, what God says is more important than what I feel. What God has said is more important than what culture teaches. What God says is more important than anything else. And I know that can be a difficult place to land and be, but it must be true and it must inform how we live. And lastly, right, it's the first, how we interpret how we live out God's word. And lastly, how we interpret and how we live out the viewpoint of heaven. A proper view of heaven informs my daily life. A proper understanding of what is to come should inform how I live now. I am still a cultivator, and I am cultivating people's hearts to lead them back to a place that God originally intended for them to be. So with that in mind, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And I want to ask you two simple questions. Number one, how are you ingesting God's word? You know, maybe you're not a person who has said, I am willing to just take God at his word and believe it as truth. I'm going to ask you to be that person today. You say, man, that takes a lot. Yeah, that's called faith. Faith means that there's no net to catch you, you're going to fall. (laughs) That's what faith is. It puts you out there. I'm asking you to have faith in God and his word. And lastly, secondarily, I'm going to ask you to meditate on heaven, the true nature of heaven, not some weird, ethereal place that just kind of is ambiguous, 
but a literal place, a real place, a tangible place where your feet touch the ground and you dwell with your God and you walk with your Savior in perfect unity and oneness where there is no death, where there is no separation, where there are no more tears to cry out of pain. That is your hope and promise, Christian. All things restored back to their original intent. Take a moment right now. Center yourself. Dwell on these two actions right now.